From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MVW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to this Monday edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'm Neil McCready. Today on the show, Nick Suss, who covers Ole Miss for the Clarion Ledger, spends uh, an hour and seven minutes with me. We uh, talk about a lot of things. Ole Miss and uh, pandemic and uh, the protest in Oxford last week. A lot of things I think you'll really enjoy the interview. We'll get to it in just a few minutes. First, I want to tell you about the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford, you can download the Speed Pass Plus app right now, and uh, you can get hands-free, basically touch-free. Your uh, fill-up there at the Oxford Exxon, and then of course you can go in. Great ribs, great beer selection, sodas, daiquiris, pretty much everything you could want. As we get into these hot summer days, the Oxford Exxon can take care of you. Ben Craddock and the people at uh, <clears throat> Blue Sky and Oxford Exxon have been so good to us over the years. So when you are coming in and out of Oxford, make that a, uh, a regular part of your stop and uh, a part of your trip, I should say. We would appreciate it. You'll love it. it uh, it'll be something that uh, you'll start to do all the time, and uh, you'll be taking care of great people, and they'll be taking care of you. They're, <clears throat> excuse me, they're right next door to the Oxford uh, Crystal, uh, where you can fill up yourself there all day as well. Uh, there at Crystal. So uh, Oxford Exxon, uh, Oxford Crystal right there, Highway 6 West in Oxford. Uh, I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes and business hours. It's right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote. The rest is up to you. You can shop that quote around or you can do what I've done what I recommend that you do, and that's hop into a Clark Ford today. You'll love the service after the sale. You'll love the product. You'll love everything about Clark Ford. Corey and the people there want to be your truck guy. They want to be your car guy. They'll prove that to you when you make the call, 662-257-1900. Nick Suss and all other guests join us on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Rafters is located at the... uh, The Rafters on the Water, I should say, is open, and it's located at the Sardis Marina. You can come experience outdoor dining unlike any place in North Mississippi. The menu offers shrimp and Mississippi catfish platters, along with gourmet burgers, Louisiana-style po'boys on Leidenheimer French bread. The uh, hours are Wednesday and Thursday, 3.30 to 10, Friday through Sunday, 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. They have a newly expanded picnic-style dining area, signature appetizers, including Zydeco shrimp, crawfish egg rolls live music is uh on the weekends and uh they offer a lot of fun cocktails as well including their famous house frozen margarita to go curbside pickup also available 662-712-6162 is the number 662-712-6162 that's rafters on the water in sardis and so speaking of rafters let's go to the rafters music and food hotline now and nick suss of the clarion ledger Nick Suss of the Clarion Ledger, kind enough to join us here on uh, the Oxford Exxon podcast. It is a uh, Monday afternoon when you hear this, so in the event that the world blows up between now and the time that you hear this, you'll know that we just didn't see it coming. Anything's possible, it seems, in 2020. Nick, how are you? 
I am doing about as well as one can do on June seventh, two thousand and twenty. So all things considered, C plus. <laughs> so uh, this sounds crazy because we're on the same beat together. I have not seen you since uh, probably the week of the shutdown starting. I guess um, I, I've I, yeah, it probably would have been the. Mississippi State basketball game in Starkville. Like, you weren't at that, were you? No, I didn't go to that. Uh, so it was before. Yeah. It would have been. So it would have been whatever the last home basketball game was. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Um, yeah. So I, we've we've done this with a lot of people, but I haven't gotten yours. When what was your? I don't think you were going to the SEC tournament. I was three quarters of the way there when I heard that there would be no no media access, and I was like, screw it, I'm going home. Which turned out to be a probably a pretty smart decision on my part. Um, what was what was your pandemic? Uh, experience with learning that, hey, the world's going to shut down? Um, so I was sitting on my couch watching that last Ole Miss basketball game, or Ole Miss baseball game against your beloved alma mater. And another reporter was in the house because we were the only people who could figure out how to get the game on our computers, apparently. Or I might have been the only person who could figure it out. <laughs> and we were just watching the, uh, the Rudy Gobert situation unfold over and over again saying, this doesn't feel good. Something's off. And I just remember a friend of mine looking at me and saying, man, three, four days ago when, when the CDC declared this a pandemic, I didn't think this would happen. And I said, man, that was this morning. That was 11 a.m. <laughs> it's been like six hours. Uh, just that entire day felt like a week and, and blow by blow by blow. And then that next day with the NCAA tournament getting canceled, that was the thing I thought would never happen. That was when I realized, oh, we're in for, we're in for months of this because you know as well as anybody, if they're forfeiting the hundreds of millions of dollars they could have made off the NCAA tournament, the liability was just insane. So, I mean, I've, I've been cooped up indoors for three months as a result of that i haven't been inside a restaurant or a bar or anything like that since then i am doing whatever small part i have to to keep the world spinning but yeah just the reaction has been a long series of whys and hows and what next yeah you you've been a lot more pandemic compliant than i have now i've not been to a restaurant yet either but that was never really my thing I, I did finally go back to my gym a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not going to lie to you. I, I'm I'm not going to be you know John Wayne that says it hasn't crossed my mind. It does every single time that I even think, oh, that's a sore throat, and then I'm like, oh god, oh god, here it goes. But then it passes, or whatever. But uh, I'm 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 more careful in my gym than I've ever been, and I've yet to get back into the routine of going every other day religiously, like I did for. Wow. I mean, a full year before the pandemic hit, a year plus, yeah. actually, I was going every other day religiously, and I hadn't gotten to that place yet. I've gone twice a week. I guess I've gone I've gone back for two weeks, a total of four times. You've been, best I can tell, a lot more, like I said, pandemic compliant. Are you, Oxford is, is I know it's become home. You live here, but it's not home, and, and you, you're, you're, you're still a young guy. You're still single. Have you lost your mind yet? Um, so I think this would have been the first three weeks of August. I was not just pandemic compliant. I did not take a step outside. You said, I was you, you, mean, you, mean, you mean April, April, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
the the first three weeks of April, I was Howard Hughes. Like, I just didn't go outside. Because there was a part of me that was afraid I had it. You're talking about the not being John Wayne. I had, like, tightness in my chest, and it was probably just me being a lunatic and thinking, oh, man, I have it. I shouldn't spread this. So I didn't go to Walmart. I didn't drive through anywhere. I did not take a step outside to check my mailbox. I was indoors pacing around my apartment like I am now, just pretending that everything around me wasn't on fire. Since then, things have gotten better. I, I like to tell people that <laughs> this, is a, this has been a good reevaluation of the things that actually make me happy. Uh, I'm still 25 about to be 26 years old. I don't like going to bars. I don't want to go to bars. The fact that I haven't been to a bar since March, I don't miss it. We've had this conversation before, and I know it just stopped you dead in your tracks. I don't miss drinking. It's not a thing I do. I don't miss it. Uh, all that sort of stuff has, yeah. uh, has taught me that the ways that I'm coping of doing a lot of Skype calls and all that stuff. I, I host a game show two, three times a month on Skype, I just call up my friends and say, hey, you want to play a game show? I want to play. And we'll get on for... I want to play. Sometime. Yeah, no, it's... Yeah, it's a, it's a drinking game game show. I think a lot of people would enjoy it, but I just... I've found ways to pass the time, and I don't think that anybody has a good strategy for this. It's not like there's a handbook for this is what you do when the world stops going for three months, but at this point, I'm pretty confident that if this happens again in the year 2044, I will... Uh, I will be prepared with strategies. Well, I mean this as a compliment. You have always struck me as someone, and, and I, I catch myself being very jealous of people like you, if I'm honest. It took me a lot longer in life to get to the place. You, but you strike me as someone who's very comfortable in his own skin. So, you know, you're, you're kind of comfortable with who you are and, and, and what your personality is, and most people like you. And if someone doesn't like you, I'm sure you would prefer that they like you, but it doesn't keep you up at night. Oh, yeah, no, it's it's a weird position to be in as somebody who loves being the weirdo but also constantly seeks approval because uh, the weirdo doesn't always get the approval. The weirdo is the weirdo. So I'm comfortable being the person who is different than most people. And, I, I mean, as you alluded to, I'm not from Oxford, and it takes a while to get used to the personality of Oxford. It's, it's a unique type of town. But, yeah, no, I, I've definitely become pretty comfortable in saying, you know what, if I'm just going to be inside all day binge-watching British sitcoms from the 80s, I think I can make it work. <laughs> all right, we're going to get to some of this stuff in a little bit, but I, I do I do have to ask you this because for the longest time uh, knowing you, uh, you had very long hair, which I was remar yeah. remarkably, not the length of the hair, I was jealous of the ability to grow the hair the way that you can grow your hair. And then one day I was coming up the steps to the pavilion to get to my seat, and as God is my witness, I don't think I recognized you. I kind of did, and I thought that, I think that might be Nick, but maybe not because you had really gotten a serious haircut uh, yeah, this was probably January. I'm guessing maybe early February. Yeah, end of January. End of January. Yeah. So where where does the hair stand now? Because I dare say you haven't found a, a barber in the last few months. No, I, I have not touched the hair. I, I know that as of must have been about a month ago, I was on a Skype call with Keith Carter, who uh, immediately told me four different times, "Drive to a state that's reopened. You need another haircut." <laughs> so it's it's comforting to know that uh, people care about me. But no, hair is standing up. My hair is very poofy, 
So it goes straight up until it gets long when it goes down. And I also haven't touched a razor since March 8th or whenever this happened. So I am very fully beardy because who do I have to impress? Um, so yeah, I am slowly devolving into my Neanderthal roots, but uh, as long as I don't succumb to fucking on bones, I guess I'll be okay. I can go one week without shaving my face. And at, at literally at the one week mark, it's all I can think about. Um, I did it yesterday. I got to a one week and, and, um, uh, yeah, yesterday. And I just got to where I, I had to, I had to shave it off. And I mean, even though people in my life were like, it looks good. Like even my kids were like, I, I kind of like it like that. I just, I, I, I had to claw it off. I cannot imagine when I see guys like you that have the full beards going, I, I don't know how you live with it. I, and I don't mean that in a critical way. I, I just don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know how you, maybe you never experienced that feeling. I've had people tell me that yeah, you have to work through that. You get, you get past it. I can't ever get past it. I, I was, I caught myself yesterday. I was driving to uh, Kroger to get gas for my car and my lawnmower. And all I could think about the entire drive there and the entire drive back was shaving. So one of the reasons I keep the beard when I was fresh out of college, I guess I was 22 years old. I was living in Baton Rouge. I was in an Uber and I had a, a full beard at the time. And the woman that was driving was probably in her early to mid thirties. And she starts playing, a Belle Biv DeVoe song or something from the early 90s New Jack Swing era. And she looks at me and says, this is from our childhood, isn't it? And I just look at her and say, how old do you think I am? And she says, I don't know, 31, 32. And so I pull out my phone and show her the most recent picture of me cleanly shaven, which couldn't have been longer than like six weeks old. And I said, how old am I in this picture? And she says, I don't know, 19. I'm like, oh, gosh, you, you think that a beard had... 12, 13 years to my appearance. Yeah, I guess I should probably keep the beard. I, I don't want to be carded. So it, it is a defense mechanism in a lot of ways to hide behind the baby face. Okay. The story that I heard about you early in the pandemic, and I can't remember who told me, may have been Chase, I don't know, said that you walked a marathon in your apartment. I've confer- I have confirmed this with you, I, I, but I don't know any details. So I have to ask for details. You walked 26.2 miles in your apartment? Not contiguously, but yes. Over the course of 24 hours, I did walk slash jog 26.2 miles <laughs> just around. I don't live in a big place, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I am. Uh, let's, let's see how long it takes the sentence. I have touched one wall at the side of my apartment, okay. and I have now touched the other wall at the side of my apartment that is how long it takes to get from one end of the living room to the other end of the kitchen i did that for about so i started at midnight <laughs> and i was listening to uh nevermind by nirvana because i was going a little insane and i realized that i had been jumping up and down for so long that it was triggering in my phone a number of steps. And I looked down at it and I was like, I had in the 45 minutes of the album, I had jumped about 1.2 miles worth of steps. And I was like, well, let's see what happens. And I turned on the second album. I can't remember. I, I think it was, uh, the queen is dead by the Smiths or something. And, and I start jumping and I'm pacing and I'm dancing along to it. And I look down and I've got like three and a half miles and it's been an hour. It's been an hour 15 or something like that. So I'm like, okay, I, I have a weird goal for this day. <laughs> Let's see how much I can get. 
And so I go to bed at like two or three in the morning because what is time anymore? And by that point, I'd already hit five, five and a half miles. And I texted a couple of friends. I'm like, hey, I think I'm going to pull off a marathon without going outside. Do you think that's a thing people do? I'm like, no, that's not a thing people (laughs) do. That's a thing you do. I believe that you would try it, but best of luck to you. So I roll out of bed that next morning. It was a Sunday, so I didn't have any work responsibilities. And I, it's probably 11 a.m. because I'm still a child. And I, I start pacing, just eating breakfast, holding a bagel, walking back and forth across my apartment. <laughs> I, I turn on Netflix, and I'm like, it's easy to watch Netflix while I'm pacing. I'm not going to miss that much of it. So I watched an entire season of a show just while pacing. And then I, I turned on some music and I started half jogging a lap around my apartment, which I define as there's a wall, uh, outside of my bedroom. I just punched it. And now I just punched my front door and now I've gotten to the side wall of my apartment (laughs) and now I've gotten to my kitchen Island and now I've gotten back to the wall outside my bedroom. That is one lap. I did that. 350 times or so i haven't done the exact math on (laughs) how much that'll get you but by about 5 or 6 p.m i'm at 19 miles and i'm like why is this not hurting yet we take a break and my interview with nick suss to tell you the Ole miss rebels and head coach lane kiffin want you all aboard this season renew your 2020 season tickets by June 15th with their uh, no-risk purchase option as Coach Kiffin brings his innovative offense back to the SEC. For more information, visit fb.olemistix.com. That's fb.olemistix.com. You get rewarded all season long in 2020 by downloading the free Coca-Cola Rebel Rewards app today. It's simple. Attend home athletic events, earn points, win prizes. Download the free app from the Google Play Store or App Store today by searching Rebel Rewards or visit rebelrewards.com. Rebel Rewards, be rewarded. Are you are you ready? Coach Lane Kiffin and the Ole Miss Rebels are ready to make a splash in the SEC West. Renew your 2020 season tickets by June 15th and get a Lane Kiffin bobblehead. For more info on how to renew, visit fb.olemistix.com. We're also brought to you Buy Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan's the place to go. They've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. Great lease deals as well. It's GrenadaNissanUSA.com. Blue Delta Jeans is open for business. They've spent the last eight years building a Mississippi-based brand with a reach across the nation. Do not intend to slow down for anything. They know that uh, this week most people are uh, focused on buying toilet paper and peanut butter, but if you find yourself needing a new pair of Blue Deltas, check out their new website. It's bluedelta.com, so check that out at uh, Blue Delta Jeans. They're back open, so uh, you want to check them out as soon as you can. Get uh, yourself ready for fall and football season because I think you're going to be able to go to games. You're going to be able to go to parties. You want to look good. Blue Delta can make that happen. We're also brought to you by the Iron Horse Grill. It uh, specializes in on-site, large event catering for up to 250 people, and off-site full catering services, especially beverage catering. So if you're planning a birthday party, a graduation celebration, a rehearsal dinner, or a wedding reception, you want to be able to enjoy the moment, and the Iron Horse Grill is your answer. It's a one-stop shop for beverage services for a 250 to 500-person wedding, 
or even a 3,500-person gala. It is one of the largest beverage caterers in Mississippi, and it can service the entire state. Call Sarah Black, 601-398-0151 for your catering needs and knock that off your worry list and let the Iron Horse Grill make your event one that is memorable forever. Uh, they don't forget the restaurant is open again. It's open. It's located at 320 East Pearl Street in Jackson. Uh, Dead Soxie is excited to celebrate Father's Day and has come to be expected. They want to do it in style. So go to deadsoxy.com. Check out the limited edition Father's Day bundles. Each bundle contains a men's dress sock, a kid's crew, and a no-show. Kids' crews typically fit sizes 4T to 3 so don't miss this exciting opportunity to celebrate Father's Day in style and secure one of the limited quantity bundles today. DeadSoxy.com, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. Check out the new limited Father's Day edition before they are all gone. Now back to Nick Suss on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. So, uh, I, I was going to ask, like were, you, dead. Were, you, were you getting winded? Were you, were, were you, were you having to hydrate? At all, and I—I I do know that by about seven o'clock, I was—I was holding off on eating dinner until after I was done because I did not want a reversal of fortune, to use the official Nathan's hot dog eating contest terminology for it. <laughs> so, I'm—I'm I'm a little weak at this point. I'm at twenty-two or 20, uh, twenty-three miles probably, and I, I'm just—I turn on a YouTube compilation of funny game show answers or something. I'm just like, I just need to be distracted. And I'm like the the slowest jog that you'll ever see. Cause one thing that people should know about me, I, when I was in my best shape as a team captain on my high school football team could barely break a six second 40. My, my dad tells a story that I don't remember. Um, that when I was seven or eight years old, I was playing baseball and I legged out a double and my coach screams from the dugout, Sus, you got wheels! And me as a seven-year-old from second base yells back, Yeah, square ones! <laughs> uh, apparently I was really into the self-burn as a seven-year-old. But yeah, so it, I, I'm not very good at lugging my body from place to place, but by about seven or eight o'clock, I, I crossed that 26.2 mark, and then I laid down on my bed to take a screenshot of the proof that I'd done it, and that's when I realized... Oh, I'm not going to be able to walk for two days, and I couldn't. Really, you were sore from walking that much. Yeah, I guess so. And and those tight turns in your apartment probably put a little more stress on your on your ankles and knees than you were thinking about. Oh yeah, that's that's why. Uh, since then, I have moved most of my walking endeavors to the outdoors. Um, when I, I I have to take a furlough week once a month uh, per Gannett policy during this and. The two furlough weeks I've taken so far, I have I've been averaging like ten or eleven miles a day of just walking aimlessly around Oxford because what the heck else is there to do? Um, and man, I, I've mapped out exactly an eight mile path. If you need an eight mile path in Oxford, I've mapped out a six mile path. I've mapped out a twelve mile path. All of just kind of aimlessly wandering. Because uh, if uh, if I can't use this pandemic as an excuse to not be overweight, then uh, man, I, I have achieved nothing. Yeah, I, I got up this morning and went running in my neighborhood, and my neighborhood has too many hills in it. So I'm I'm 
I'm starting to get the bug to run again, which is, is a weird thing. I know a lot of people can't relate to it, but I've, for whatever reason, kind of broken through a little bit with some of the hip stuff, yeah. and, and I can run some now, and and uh, I just, I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks about, I, I, I said yesterday, I think about running one more just because, I don't know, you're, I'm, I'm weird about numbers, and I've run four, and so running five sounds so much more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, conclusive than running four. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. Like five is a, is a is a more conventional number than four, I suppose. Like I, yeah. I, I don't know. So you know, and and there's there's and then I'm I just turned fifty, and so I think well, I could run my fifth one in my fifties, which would have a certain alliteration to it, and. And so I've been playing with the idea in my head, which, and I know it's stupid. I, everyone says you're going to hurt your, you're going to hurt your feet, you're going to hurt your knees, and 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 I know they're right. But anyway, I got up this morning and ran, and the hills were were just killer. But I said so I might take you up on some of the the, the paths around Oxford. Oxford's not the best place yeah. in the world to train for running because of hills. The hills will just eat you alive. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons that I was dissuaded from running as a, as a youngster, because I grew up in a town called Cumming, Georgia, which every joke you can think of has been made. <laughs> and uh, it's right down in the foothills of Appalachia. So I lived on a house that our driveway was like a 15 gray hill. Like even getting down the driveway, learning how to drive, I couldn't do it. Um, so I, I lived in mountain folk area and uh never learned how to run because of it and then when i moved to baton rouge when everything was flat i should have i don't know if you've ever been to baton rouge in the summer it's a little warm oh man it is i mean i'm a louisiana native but north louisiana and and that part of and then i lived in mobile for years which is like living in baton rouge basically and the 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 humidity in the summers is some is something that it's hard to describe to people. I would tell people that like, oh, I bet you love living in Mobile. You're so close to the beach. It's like, well, yeah, but the beach is 50 minutes away. And by the time you load up and take your stuff to the beach and get to the beach and, and then you got to drive back from the beach in a hot car, the beach is not as fun as it is when you go down and stay in someone's condo. No, this is how hot South Louisiana and Hattiesburg. I lived in Hattiesburg for a little while. This is how hot those places get during the summer. Last year, my first summer in Oxford, my air conditioning in my apartment didn't work, and I didn't bother to get it fixed. It was like 86 degrees in my apartment, and I was like, I can handle it. Yeah, you'd have to have it down there. No way. Yeah. Um, all right. We'll get to some other stuff that I want. I know our listeners would love to get your perspective on. I know you covered the... Uh, the peaceful protest. When was that? Thursday night, I believe. Uh, yes. I was kind of following your coverage of it. Chase and I were, were recording a show at the time. Uh, kind of set the scene. It sounds like it was. I mean, we've seen these pictures all over the country of of uh, protests turning into not. I mean, some in some cases riots, in some cases looting, and in some cases they just get nasty. It sounds like the one in Oxford didn't do any of those things. Yeah, and I don't want to speak for people who I didn't speak to, but to me, I think that the people of Oxford are, A, rational enough to know that if you burn this town down, it's not getting rebuilt. But also, they know that it's easier to make your purpose when you do it peacefully. As as bogus as it may be to say that, if you want to get noticed, there's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it. And, yeah. and the protest was... 
really impressive. I, I mean, to put it into a little perspective, I watched the Confederate flag march in Oxford last February or whenever that was. And I would go as far as to say there were 10 to 15 times more people in Oxford on Thursday marching for equality and marching for Black Lives Matter than were at whatever that wonky protest was that was the day, a year and a half ago. That was the day that the, the basketball team knelt in the, during the anthem? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, I remember you covered, um, you, you did not cover the game until that happened. You were at the yeah. you were at the march, yeah. And I, all I remember about the march was there was like just a handful of people there. We were, you know, every, it'd been all this build up to it was going to get ugly and you were there and I guess it, it probably felt like it was about to get ugly, but the, you know, the, the contrast that you're pointing out, and I, I won't stop you again. I'll let you keep going. The contrast is interesting because earlier in the day, there was all this talk about, you know, legitimate talk from people in law enforcement that they had gotten some kind of credible threats that they were concerned that, that it could get out of hand on Thursday night. Yeah, and it very impressively did not. Um, I, I, I caught up with the march right when they were about to enter onto campus because they started on the square and then they walked up toward the Ford Center on campus. I'm sure most of your listeners can envision that route. And uh, I caught up with them when they were just cresting over a hill. And all you could see is just white signs poking up over the hill because so many people were carrying signs. And I just didn't know what I was looking at. It, it was It was dusk, but it was this blinding display of white, these giant signs with things written all over them. And then you, you see them start to crest to the top of the hill. And it's, I would guess about 1500 to 2000 people. And I'm horrible at guessing how many jelly beans are in a jar. So go on my Twitter, look at the pictures I posted, estimate for yourself how many people were there. But the march just kept going and kept going. It was so sonically dissonant that if you stood in the middle of it, you could hear two different cadences of the chant because people were so far apart from beginning to end that you couldn't time it well. The sound wasn't traveling quick enough for people to actually time their chants with the people in the front of the march, which is just astounding for a town like Oxford, uh, which when students are here is a smaller town, but when students aren't here is obviously a very small town and they eventually make their way all the way to the Gertrude Ford Center and they congregate in the parking lot and, and they gather around the woman Tracy who organized the event as well as a pastor and the pastor tells everybody to get down on a knee and pray together and all of the protesters and a lot of the police who were enforcing the event got down on a knee and started praying together and it was this really cool surreal moment of people gathering in prayer but also gathering in homage to the way George Floyd was killed and gathering in homage to the way Colin Kaepernick protested. Taking a knee is such a loaded form of speech because so many people have so many opinions about the way that form of speech was used but to use it in such a positive way and to use it to rally people together was was a really cool sight to behold. And just like that, in a snap, it was over. Everybody left. Everybody spread back out to their 
locations. Some people went back down to the square. Some people drove home. Apparently, all 2,000 people, except for myself, were aware that a thunderstorm was coming. <laughs> and I tried to walk home and got caught in the thunderstorm. Everybody else brought cars because uh, most other people don't aimlessly walk through Oxford day after day after day. Um, but it, it was it was a really awe-inspiring sight to see so many people bounded together on behalf of good. Whatever side you fall on on the protests, it's... I. All I want to say is what I saw there should not be construed as a bad thing. Whether you agree or disagree with the people, the fact that they used their voice to stand up for what they believe, and the fact that they did it on the message of unity and positivity and trying to bring people together in support of a cause was a truly inspiring thing. Because oh. if you compare it back against that February protest I mentioned with the Confederate flag, there was not a preach of unity. There was a preach of division there. And there's such a difference in tone when you see people marching for unity versus marching for division. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's readily evident. And, and you're right that when you see something like uh, Thursday night in Oxford, you're, you're proud of a lot of things. You're proud of, of uh, yeah. as, as someone who has been here now for 12 years, it, it's, I've told people, they're like, oh, you're in Oxford. I bet Oxford's whatever. I'm like, no, man, Oxford's like one of the, one of the most, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I don't know, inclusive, tolerant kind of places that, that uh, you know, our kids went to school here. We've raised, I mean, the youngest two have been, this is the only school system they've been in, and Campbell, when she started in the Oxford schools, she was in the second grade. So, I mean, that's really all she knows other than one year in Spanish Fort, Alabama. Um, and it, it's, I wasn't surprised that, that that happened. I really wasn't. I, I knew that if something happened bad, it would be from someone coming in from the outside instigating it and it would get out of control. That was frankly my fear. And no, it's, it's, it, it, I, it, as someone who studies a lot of American history and loves American history and loves history in general, it's 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 it, you use the right word. It is awe inspiring to see people exercise their their First Amendment right in a way that that is that expresses a message and that yeah. is peaceful. Because once I agree with you, and I've had some people argue with me about this when when the protesting goes from a march or chants and statements and you're making a you're 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 having yourself getting yourself heard when it when it, it for whatever reason devolves into looting into violence the message is lost in that cacophony of 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 noise of breaking glass of all of those things and it, i mean i'm not you know I, i'm not i don't think there's just i don't think there's any way around that i mean at, at that point that becomes the focal point not the message that yeah. you're trying to convey. I wish it weren't true, but you're right. I, I wish it weren't true, but that's that's exactly the case. People are going to spend more time talking about the form of the protest instead of the actual message of it. Um, so we haven't even talked about sports. I'm curious to get your thoughts. It's been it's been three months since the sport sporting world stopped. Uh, obviously, Ole Miss. As we tape this today, they're having voluntary workouts in the Manning Center for the first time uh, since since March. 
Keith Carter and Shannon Singletary put out a pretty comprehensive video. I saw where you had referenced it. I've obviously referenced it. Anybody who probably covers the beat has referenced it. A pretty comprehensive video of what they're going to try to do in the month of June. Kind of what are your thoughts about Ole Miss, the SEC, most of college football trying to get back this month? I think that when it comes down to it, there is no correct way to reopen campus. There are a lot of wrong ways. Don't don't take that to mean that this is the Wild West, but there's no proven way to do any of this. So you get into a, a Robert Burns, best laid plans of mice and men sort of situation where you're making the guess that your information and your delegation and your expert analysis is as informed as it can be. I think right now through this first week of testing and this first day of opening back up to practices, Ole Miss has done about as good as it could have for a school that started bringing back students on June 1st. Whether they should have or whether they shouldn't have is irrelevant now because they made that decision. We know that the cat is in the box. Now we have to say, is this containment plan going to work? And there's absolutely zero precedent for proving whether or not that plan is going to work. So what we do know is they have a plan. It has worked to the point of introduction. I don't know what's going to happen next. And I I wish that more people in this world would admit when they don't know something. So, So I'm just going to leave it at, I think that what they have done so far has put them in a position to be able to respond well if they do have positive cases. What I don't know is what will happen if there is a true outbreak within the athletic department. If there is an outbreak, who the heck knows what that means? But I think they have put together a good enough plan to mitigate the chances of that outbreak happening that we can be confident in saying that we can be optimistic. Yeah, I've never been disappointed more in our field than I have with some of the way that we all have covered coronavirus stuff. Um, I just, I have been very frustrated. Maybe disappointed is the wrong word. I've been very frustrated with the way the coverage is done. And, and then, frankly, I catch myself here the last 48 hours more frustrated with some of the health officials who enter data numbers in and, and the numbers the numbers can can be misleading. What I found interesting is this. At a place like Ole Miss, they tested 250-ish people. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know the exact number, and I don't know that it really necessarily matters. They had two positives, a staff yeah. person and, and a, a, a student athlete. I presume it to be football. I don't know that. Um, they've isolated those two people, one at, at, at a home and one on campus, and – like you said, they'll kind of go from there. What's going to be interesting, I was reading about that. Ross Dellinger had a story about this. So far, like Auburn has had some positives. Alabama, uh, I think Arkansas had a couple. So far, I've not heard of anybody who was symptomatic. So everyone is asymptomatic. And with these being young people and the way that the virus really hasn't affected young people, I mean, obviously, if you put them in a bubble, it, it, it would be one thing, but they're not going to be in a bubble. You're not going to put them in a bubble. They're going to yeah. get out. They're going to they're going to 
uh, migrate with society. They're, they're going to go to parties. They're, they're going to go out to eat. They're going to do things that college kids do. There's a better chance that an outbreak would happen from outside than an outbreak would happen from inside. And then there's even a better chance that you could have a, quote, outbreak inside your program and never know it. Took a break in the show to tell you about Community Mortgage located in Oxford, Memphis, Soto County, and Chattanooga. Underwriting and processing is done in Memphis, so you're getting local underwriting and understand your market. A leader in condo financing in Oxford and the flow down option where you can lock in the current rate, but if rates go down before you close, you get the lower rate. 662-234-2704 or J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. Also brought to you by G&M Pharmacy on South Lamar in Oxford. Also Tyson Drugs on the Square in Holly Springs. Both those locations are open for regular business hours. Tyson's is utilizing a walk-up window. And GM is offering curbside service there in Oxford. Both stores are dedicated to local delivery and still able to deliver same day as well. 662-236-2222. The podcast brought to you by Visit Oxford. VisitOxfordMS.com is the website. Click the very top so you have to support Oxford during COVID-19. You can see a list of all retailers, restaurants with curbside with delivery options to uh, help you out there if you need that list. Also ways to support hospitality workers who are out of jobs right now in Oxford between Tip Roulette and some other options that you have. Again, visit OxfordMS.com. Podcast also brought to you by Special Orthopedic Group. They are open in Tupelo and Oxford. You can skip the ER for urgent ortho-related injuries at both locations. They're offering, offering virtual health telemedicine. Patients have direct access to all SOG physicians and nurse practitioners. Patients have 24-hour access to appointments at 662 767 4200 or SOGMS.com. No referral is needed. Walk-ins are welcome. And then last but not least, we're brought to you by In-House Interior and Design, 662-681-6241. You can call, you can text. They are available for you. I talked to Nikki this week. They've been picking up more clients because people are home right now. They're seeing things around their house they want to change, they want to fix up. They offer new client gifts. They offer dorm room appointments whenever that does uh, come with discounts as well. So you can find out more. Text or call 662-681-6241. Yes. And that's why this is me talking from conjecture, so bear with me. But to me, it feels really bizarre that the rate of asymptomatic carriers from all of these schools are so low. Because if you look at the, the national testing rate, the CDC, as of, I think, Saturday, reported that about 11% of all tests have been reported positive. Uh, If you trust the COVID tracker data, in Mississippi, it's about 8.5% of all tests have been yielded positive. With the Ole Miss Athletic Department right now, it's sitting at about 0.8%, which is so statistically off what you would expect, it leads you to the conclusion that people involved with the athletic department, not just at Ole Miss, but you alluded to Auburn and Oklahoma State's another place where they've set a couple of cases and Iowa State, the people within these organizations either A, did a really good job of isolating from it, or B, were very motivated to isolate from it because of what they knew wouldn't happen if they didn't. Or both. And maybe, yeah, and that's we're maybe in a situation where the people involved with athletics have been so motivated to get past this so that they can have a season that maybe it's just proof that taking this seriously was always the good plan. And that's not to chastise people who didn't, because if you didn't take this seriously, that's your prerogative. 
Sure. But the fact that nobody is is asymptomatically carrying, that such a small percentage, and even the one positive test that wasn't uh, that didn't come back to campus, that third test that is still isolating at home, that was because they identified possible symptoms. So you're still looking at, they only talked about three people who they identified possible symptoms, and then about 250 people who they didn't identify symptoms, and only 0.8% of those 250 didn't or, or carried asymptomatically. That is a rousing success for whatever the athletic department instructed its players to do in the last three months. There's no question. They deserve a ton of credit for it. Two, two, two things to piggyback on that. One is the people at Ole Miss knew because I would talk to people, you did too, I would talk to people there early. It was it was about, there was a, a laser focus on doing everything that needed to be done to give you the best chance in the world to have a season in the fall. Yeah. Laser focused. It, Keith Carter, Shannon Singletary, everybody over there deserves a ton of credit. And then I've said this repeatedly, I talk to people in and around the league Starting back in, I don't know. I mean, this this story began in April, really, and there was a very similar. They, they, there was there was no scoffing at it. Everyone was taking it very seriously, saying that we've when we come back, we've got to come back with enough time to identify base levels of health. We've got to come back with enough time to uh, let let athletes get in, in in physical shape, not COVID stuff, but just physically get back in shape to play a very violent physical game. But you've, you've, you've got to do it in a way that is responsible. And I know the league begged these programs, please do this responsibly. Please do this carefully. Don't do it. Don't basically don't be meatheads. And, 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 and a lot of times people get offended by that, but a lot of times college football coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, especially this time of year, can get kind of meatheady. Like this is when you put your work in. This is you just grind and you go and you go and you go and you work through, you know, you work through pain and you work through throwing up. And throwing up is sort of a, a man, we worked so hard that we threw up. It's almost a badge of honor. Well, nausea is a, a symptom of, of COVID. So now you got to be, you got to be super careful, especially early. And I think they are. I, to to everyone's credit around, I can't speak for the rest of the country, but to the SEC's credit, I think everyone is being really careful and trying to do it the right way. And I think they're giving themselves the best chance in the world at, at not only having a season, but having a season that starts on time and that uh, yeah. gets off to a good start. Yeah. No, I think that's that's a really good point because I don't know if you give credit to the conference. I don't know if you give credit to the coaches, or I don't know if you give credit to the players. It's probably a everybody a mix between the three. I, I really think that everybody deserves some form of credit for this, but it has been so far based off of what we know. Maybe every school is tearing out its tests and it's saving the most symptomatic people for last, and we're about to have a giant influx. So, Everything is on the table. I, I don't know what's going to happen. But so far, it seems like everything has been handled extremely responsibly. And that is going to make it easier for the games themselves to happen. Whether that means fans can be there, whether that means they're going to happen as scheduled in the arenas they're scheduled in, who the heck knows. Okay, but so now it seems like they're on schedule. Feel free to tell me I'm an idiot. Uh, you will not be the first person to do it in the last 24 hours. 
But I've watched, and and again, I I fully support peaceful protest all over the country, especially for a a, a subject as uh, as as pervasive as racism, as a, a subject as as important as as racism, as acknowledging racism, acknowledging that we've got to do something about it, p- acknowledging police brutality. Uh, all of those those are those are monumental societal topics that that we are taking on as a society and i support everyone's right to do that now that being said nick here's what i've noticed and tell me where i'm wrong and maybe i am you're probably smarter than a good bit smarter than i am i have noticed around the country in philadelphia in new york in boston and atlanta and houston and dallas and Denver and Los Angeles and Oakland and in all Chicago and Detroit and all parts in between massive demonstrations. And when I say that, I mean massive numbers of people crammed together in tight spaces, chanting, um, uh, demonstrating, protesting for hours on end. And I don't mean that in a critical way at all. I'm not not at all. But physically, I've seen it, and it yeah. it does beg the question. And again, maybe in two weeks, my answer will be readily available to me. But it does beg the question: if in a couple of weeks there's no obvious viral spike that resulted from those uh, assemblies. And I'm going to assume that the virus does not is not able to discriminate between a protest and a, a and a sporting event or a protest and a party. I just I, I don't think the virus thinks like that. I, if I'm wrong, then so be it. If that's the case, I don't really know why we can't begin to have a far more aggressive conversation about fans and stands. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think that the one logical difference and maybe it's not an intelligent difference but logical difference would be if you are marching down public streets then nobody is liable if you catch the disease oh sure sure virus rather somewhere else the businesses themselves have liability and again that's not an intelligent rationale no 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 you're you're right there's a but but that's a to me that's a completely different conversation i mean it is you're right It, it there is liability and these schools are terrified about liability and i get it but if hundreds of thousands of people can march together in this is the example I used on Twitter yesterday, can march together and then stop and congregate together and sing and chant and do the things that they did during, from all accounts, was a very peaceful protest in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I, as a, and people go, you're just being a sports ball fan, and you know me well enough to know I'm not really that type of guy. I, I don't see. What's the difference between that and twenty two thousand people going to a baseball game to see the Phillies play the Mets? That would be a lot of people for a Phillies Mets game, but <laughs> um I think that the one thing that you know as well as anybody and that I unfortunately had to learn in these last couple of years, the only inhibitor to that happening is counting on the NCAA to make sound decisions and is counting on Major League Baseball to pay its own players, which apparently is controversial now. Uh, it's 
the leagues themselves have to be the ones to do this. And college sports are so different because is it going to be the SEC that makes the decision or the NCAA or is it going to be ESPN that makes the decision? Who knows? But you're counting on these leagues to do something they very rarely do, which is uh, act responsibly, act swiftly, and act intelligently. And I hope they do. I I miss sports to a point that my TV has a screensaver, which is a pong, effectively. Two air hockey discs will play against each other, and I can watch that for an hour. Just like, oh, man, this computer-generated pong game is really catching my attention tonight. I, I want sports to be back as much as the next guy, but we are counting on the the bodies that are in power to to make the decisions and I hope they make the right ones because I don't know if there's going to be a spike in these next two weeks. I think because of how much more accessible testing is than it was three months ago, two months ago, even a month ago, there is going to be a spike just because people are going to have greater access to that testing. But I don't know if we can control that spike and if it's not as exponential as we expected, I think you're right. Yeah, they're going to be more. They're going to be more positives, but they're also going to be more tests. It's it's about the percentage. Yeah. It's about the hospitalizations, yeah. and it's about the deaths, and all of those numbers. Despite the fact that on Memorial Day there were these massive gatherings that everyone made jokes about and things like that, and and the George Floyd uh, protests began. It's been about a week and a half, right? Almost two weeks. Two weeks to go tomorrow. Yeah, so it's been two weeks. Of of not a full two weeks, but we're we're hitting the we're approaching the two week mark on the first protest, and so if we don't start seeing real change in numbers, I, I'm I'm waiting for the rest of the conversation to come around. And people say you you can't use that as an example, and that's being political. I'm looking at it from, and I say this word loosely as a ULM graduate. I'm looking at it somewhat scientifically. If if the numbers. If people can gather night after night after night in Washington, D.C. in volumes like this and there's not some massive spike in Washington, D.C., that's why I'm, I'm, I catch myself, Nick, very frustrated with Major League Baseball, for example. The, the two sides continue to talk about nothing but the economics of games without fans. And a part of me wants to go, but what if you get to play with fans? What, what if in August you can have fans? What if in September you can have fans? Major League Baseball is building every every scenario around not only no fans, but around a second wave of the coronavirus. And no one knows for certain that that's going to happen. It's it's what's really yeah. frustrated me. It, as you know, there's just this assumption that that's going to come about. There's just as much of a chance that it doesn't happen. That there's no second wave. Yeah, it's really easy to act like you are an expert on this. But I think that the thing we have learned for the last three months is that the people who are most informed about immunology are the people who keep telling us we don't know what's going to happen. The people who are least informed are the ones who keep telling us this is what's going to happen. So if the smartest people and the most scientific people keep saying, I don't know, we'll see, that's probably the best approach to take. 
So I completely agree. Let's use these last couple of weeks as a case study. Let's see if there's a spike. Let's see if transmission gets back to exponential growth or if it stays kind of arithmetic where it's been the last couple of weeks. Let's see if seven-day rates of positive test percentages continue to grow or decline. Let's look at all of this stuff and let's continue doing our parts of people who are trying our darndest to get world back to normal and let's do everything we can to, to make it possible that on September 6th, when Ole Miss and Baylor are supposed to play, they can play and that people can be there if they want to. Uh, what do you think coverage is going to look like for people like you and me? I, I, I have this sense that we are not going to have any in-person coverage, perhaps for the entire season. I won't be surprised if that happens. I don't know what it's going to look like. Like, do do because I I can't imagine they're going to waste test on media, uh, and and then you know you, you could test us on Saturday morning. That are you going to get the results in time for the game? I mean, I, you could take our temperature, things like that. I don't know that they're going to put us in an enclosed press box, that kind of thing. I just think coverage is going to look completely different from a media standpoint. So here is a a proposal I've heard bandied about, and maybe you've heard this too. And I think this deals more with the NFL than it does college because it's a little more practical for the NFL. But I have heard that it might be up to specific teams to provide specific waivers to specific media members or outlets who they will allow to cover games. And those media members will end up being syndicates for the rest of the beat crew. It'll be people who are trusted to travel or people who, I think for home games, if media is allowed in, it's going to be pretty much the same. I think for road games, when it comes to allowing people to travel, there will be limitations put on who is allowed to travel or if anyone is allowed to travel. Uh, I, I think that, like in your case, for example, there might be situations where they say, oh, Rivals doesn't need to travel because Rivals has a site in City X and they sure. can collaborate together. Sure. I think a lot of that might happen. I, I think that there's going to be a lot of network com uh, camaraderie, and I do think that there is a chance you're right, and they put press conferences on Zoom, and they call our names one by one, and, and that circus happens. I don't know if that's uh, very conducive for getting good answers. I, I think that it's a lot harder to hold people accountable over a web chat than it is in person. But I don't know. My guess is that there will be media in attendance. I think it will be limited to people that are actually covering the teams. I don't think it'll be people who can drop in on Saturdays a couple times a year and say, hey, I want to go to a football game. But maybe I'm just coming across as an elitist here. I do not know. Uh, I hope that we'll be allowed access of some sorts because I, uh, I might be a schmuck, but I still like covering sporting events. It's still my favorite part of the job, and I don't want to miss out on that. But if we have to watch on TV, uh, there are worse things. Interrupt our conversation with Nick again to tell you this podcast is brought to you by Pinnacle Trust. We'll be taping a Mind on My Money podcast on Tuesday. It'll be available to you uh, later in the week. Pinnacle Trust based in Madison, Mississippi. They represent clients in more than 20 states. They've got advisors in multiple states as well. Founded in 1997, Pinnacle Trust provides detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much more. 
At Pinnacle Trust, investing is treated like a commodity. Decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle Trust will sit down with you, listen to your goals, study your expenses, and put forth a comprehensive, detailed financial and retirement plan built just for you. It's Pinnacle Trust, Pintrust.com, P-I-N-N Trust.com. Mention you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. You'll get 10% off your first year's fee. We're also brought to you by John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. If you've been thinking about that golf trip with the guys, an anniversary trip she'll never forget, uh, playing St. Andrews, sitting at a cafe in Paris, whatever the case may be, you're going to be ready to get out now that this is starting to wind down. Everybody's looking to take a vacation. There are great vacation deals to be had. Get in touch with John. And uh, he'll hook you up. He's part of Virtuoso. It's a worldwide network of travel partners that allows him to supply his clients with added values, unique benefits, simply not available to other travelers. All you got to do is give him a call, give him an email, and uh, give him some parameters and a budget. He'll give you options that you won't find on your own. And no, you don't have to live in or near Memphis to take advantage of his services. 901-494-3387 or send him an email, Edwards at regencytravel.net. First-time clients save $50 off their first booked trip just by telling John you heard about Regency Travel on the podcast. We're also brought to you by Oxford University Bank, OUB locally owned and operated right here in Oxford. When you deposit money at OUB, that money and the vast majority of the bank's profits go right back into the Oxford community. OUB gives you the comfort of home, all of the benefits the big mega banks provide, all the technology and products you can want, all with a personal touch. No 10 buttons to push, no five minutes to wait. What you do get is Kasasa. It's the absolute best cash checking account around. And with Kasasa, OUB will pay customers 2.5% interest on their balances up to $50,000. And they'll refund ATM fees nationwide. To learn more about OUB, check out liveoxfordbankoxford.com or call 662-234-6668. OUB is FDIC insured. We're also brought to you by Bluff City Advisory Group, dedicated to building the future you desire. Founded in Memphis in 2019, their team is comprised of established and seasoned financial experts who came together to serve individuals and families of their beloved hometown. The firm is built on decades of wealth management experience, and they have seen it all. Their financial advisors have a reputation for professional excellence, and their clients rely on their high level of confidence and integrity. So whether you need guidance on developing a financial plan, creating a customized executive benefits program for your business or preparing a detailed asset allocation analysis. Bluff City Advisory will provide forward-thinking, cost-effective investment strategies customized to uniquely fit each client. It is uh, 901-365-3447 or email ben, that's B-E-N, at bluffcityadvisory.com. My 10 Weekend Thoughts are up at uh, rebelgrove.com. They're brought to you by Harry Alexander. It's ha at harryalexander.com and my mailbag will be up on wednesday it's brought to you by whitney mcnutt of tommy morgan incorporated realtors serving you for all your real estate needs in oxford and tupelo condos land commercial and residential family homes you can get in touch with whitney at 662-567-2573 or 662-842-3844 now back to nick suss on the rafters music and food hotline uh whether we're watching on tv or in person how much do you think this has set back Lane Kiffin and and uh, his new coaching staff from a from a, a 2020 
football season standpoint and from an overall program standpoint because obviously this was not <laughs> this was not in the blueprint for how they would rebuild a roster they were going to spend a lot of a lot of recruiting equity in the spring they were going to try to build momentum they were going to spend some official visits on, in april they were going to uh, take advantage of the excitement that was around old miss baseball they were going to bring kids in and let them see all of that they were going to show them all of that let them see what the offense would look like what the defense would look like they were going to do some of those things all of those things by the boards and now even summer recruiting from all unless the ncaa reverses course and i can't imagine that it will there's not going to be any on on on-campus, in-person recruiting through at least the end of July. How much do you think that impacts 2020 and beyond for Lane Kiffin? Well, the first point I want to make is if you'll think back to February 5th, I think that's when signing day was, and you think back to Lane Kiffin's answer to roster construction, where he said, this is the NFL model. We are not done throughout the spring and the summer. We're going to add a bunch more players. From the 2020 perspective, this roster will be incomplete because they have not been able to add the graduate transfers that they expected to be on the market from players that didn't win their jobs in the spring. Just people who they expected to be in the portal, either graduate transfers or traditional transfers who wanted to jump ship after their spring practices. When there weren't spring practices, there was no ability to do that. And Ole Miss has not been able to attract anybody that they can add to the roster for 2020. So if that was the plan to go out and fortify the roster with those remaining four or five scholarships that they didn't use in February to go out and get a few more players to make the team better this year, that was a huge missed opportunity because that's what they wanted to do. And they couldn't, if you're thinking about beyond, if you buy into what Kiffin has told us, and and you've heard him say this as much as I have, that he wants to engineer his offense around his players, and he didn't have a playbook in place because he wanted to see what his players can do. If you buy into the fact that they still haven't done that yet, that they're still waiting on to seeing their players before they they design what style of offense and defense they're going to run, of course they're going to be behind because you're going to play a bunch of teams that have been running the same offense for a decade, and that's going to make things really, really difficult for you. But as you get deeper into the future, the problems that Ole Miss has that will affect the 2021 and 2022 classes have affected everybody. Uh, Everybody's had, it's not as if the SEC only allowed Tennessee to have on-campus recruiting. Tennessee has been working recruiting this spring, but who knows if that's going to matter. Everybody's been affected the same way and everybody's taken different strategies to handle recruiting. But it's kind of a we're all in this together situation where who knows which approach of taking as many three stars as you could versus kind of backing off recruiting is going to work. Um, but I, I, I hope that this doesn't have adverse effects for 2021 and 2022 and beyond, because if it does, that means that almost everybody is going to end up being adversely affected. And it's probably going to stratify college football even further to where the rich get even richer and the poor get even poorer. And this repetitive process we've been in for the last five or six years since the college football playoff was established where Alabama and Clemson and Ohio state seem to, and Oklahoma as, as a force seem to reap all of the benefits while almost everybody else has a tough time clawing out of the bottom. I could see that getting stratified even more. 
before the pandemic happened and you were kind of starting to get ready for spring football coverage like I was, what what sort of were your expectations for this team and and then what do you what do you kind of anticipate now, assuming let's just assume for the sake of an easy conversation that they play the, the twelve games on the schedule as scheduled? I think my expectations for this year in the spring were this is a team that is going to be on that five and a half wins border and it comes down to that coin flip of if they can get that sixth. And that coin flip is, of course, on a Thursday in November because you don't know anything about either of those teams yet. But I I, I still kind of stand there. I look at the schedule going from Baylor all the way through state and, and you can pretty easily identify four or five wins that should be gimmies. You can pretty easily identify five games that should be losses just by the virtue of they're playing some very good teams that, that first seven or eight weeks of the season. Absolutely brutal. But if you can win your three non-conference games against Georgia Southern, UConn, and who's the FCS team this year? I can't even remember. Um, uh, Southeast Missouri. Southeast Missouri. If you can win those three games and if you can win Arkansas and Vanderbilt, you're sitting at, you need to win one game that we don't know what's going to happen in order to get that sixth win. And I think that almost anybody who is a fan of the program would look at a six-win season in Kiffin's first year and think that was a success. I don't know how people would feel about a five-win season. <laughs> it's such a, such a weird line to draw in the sand that one more win is the difference between sound the alarms and drop the streamers. But we'll see. I, I think that the Baylor game is going to be really interesting because we have no idea how that team is going to rebound from losing so much talent and losing its head coach. I think that the state game is obviously going to be very interesting because of I just can't wait to see what happens with a Michael Leach team in the SEC. I think that's primed to be extremely fun, and, and it's primed to be an extremely exciting sort of atmosphere in Oxford on Thanksgiving. And I think that the further you go down the schedule, whether it's Texas A&M or Auburn or even Florida, who I think is going to be really, really good, but that game's in Oxford, and who knows if these players are going to be super motivated to beat Dan Mullen if that rivalry still exists. Uh, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting season, but right now I can look at the schedule and see the six wins. It's just a matter of Kiffin being able to do the one thing that Ole Miss couldn't do in the Matt Luke era and win one game it's not supposed to win. I know you don't cover Mississippi State, but you you, you follow it a little bit. Obviously, you, you work for the Clarion Ledger. Do you, do you get a sense that Mike Leach has a ton of work to do to sort of get that team behind him? after some of the things that have happened or, or do you sense that's blown over or I mean, he's awfully quiet on Twitter, which tells me that someone has sort of uh, chided him at the very least about, about Twitter. What's, what's kind of your yeah. thoughts there? My thought is even without the whirlwind that has been this off season in Starkville, it was always going to be more difficult for Mike Leach to transform a roster to fit what he likes to do than it would have been for Kiffman to transform a roster to do what he likes. I, I mean, you know, I'm sure you've talked about this on the podcast. I can't say I've listened to every episode, but the way Kiffin fits his offense to Reggie Bush one year and then to Amari Cooper and then to Jalen Hurts and Devin Singletary and obviously Derek Henry with Eisen Trophy, he can kind of mold his offense to whatever talent he has. 
Leach kind of plays one style of football. And the fact that Mississippi State didn't really throw the ball all that well last year, uh, trying to get your offense to do that air raid style of football was always going to be a tough task. So the rebuild in Starkville, while I think the ceiling potentially could be higher just because of how successful Leach has been for so long in college football, it's going to take a year or two to actually turn the roster over to get what he wants. Then if you factor in the very controversial tweet and the I think they've had five players try and transfer and uh, two or three of them were pretty high-level contributors for the team. Uh, You go through all of that. Sure, you're in a situation where it might be kind of difficult to win this team over, but I, I can't remember the last time that a coach didn't ultimately win his team over year one. It's pretty rare for somebody to just have that, gosh, what was his name? Steve Wilkes with the Cardinals a couple of years ago to just one year into the experiment, people be like, nope, not working. <laughs> so I, I think it's going to work out, but uh, he does have a little bit of work to do. For people who don't know you well, as we start to wrap up, the people who don't know you well don't understand the breadth of your sports knowledge. Your sports trivia knowledge is it is it is remarkable. Um, I've I've joked with people about it. You and I have messed around. Uh, it, it it's incredible. So it tells me that you, in a normal day in a pre pandemic era, watched a ton of sports. Uh, pretty much, if it was on, you you were interested in it. What has it been like for you to not be able to turn the television on for three months and see live sports, whether it's it's uh, in this case, the NCAA tournament, the the NBA playoffs, the Major League Baseball season, the random spring football games, golf, tennis, everything. The honest truth is, during football season, I watch football almost every day. During April and March, April and May, I'm watching sports pretty constantly as a result of covering college baseball as closely as I do. But when I'm not working, I try to distance myself from sports. And this has been a really weird couple of months because this is the first time I've ever quote unquote worked a nine to five. Yeah. I get to kind of live regular business hours since there aren't sports. So it's kind of been refreshing to live like real people do. Um, I've missed sports. I'm not the kind of person that's like, oh man, CBS Sports Network is replaying the 2002 Final Four game between Maryland and, I can't remember who Maryland played, I, I backed myself into a corner with that one, <laughs> but I, I just, I've missed it, but I think I've missed it more experientially than I have academically. I, yeah, I, yeah. I wish I could turn on a baseball game at a random 9.30 p.m. when I have nothing better to do and put on my Jock Peterson Dodgers jersey that my friend bought me as like a 20% joke, 80% because he's my favorite player, weirdly, um, and just be like, oh, let's watch this guy swing out of his shoes because he doesn't know how not to. I wish I could do that, but I also have found that in a world without sports, it kind of makes me be a real person to other people. And I can't be like, oh, I can't talk to you right now. The game is about to start. Or, oh, man, I wish I could do this thing, but I have to research uh, 
Texas A&M's Saturday starters curveball. Like, I, I don't have to deal with that. So it's been refreshing. But I will tell you that the second Sundays in the fall start back up again, and I can turn on my NFL Sunday ticket app, and I can watch the Titans on local cable and all that stuff, I'm going to do it for 14 hours on end every Sunday. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm not going to be shameful about it. It's It's been so weird, man, because like I'm – I'm a I'm a baseball fan. I'm a major league baseball fan. I love major league baseball, and it's six months a year, and it's every day, and I pretty much follow the same team, and then I follow the other teams in that division so that I can cheer against those teams over the course of a season. And it took me a little while at first. I really missed it, and then I've kind of gotten into this place now where I don't think about it anymore. And I've adjusted to life without it, which ought to be the great message to Major League Baseball, quite frankly, is if people like me, who grew up with it, I mean, love loving it, if people like me can get used to not having it, you might want to get your season started. Because I'm like you, yeah. if you told me the Cubs were playing tomorrow on television, I'm in, I'm watching. I'm in, it's appointment television. But it's amazing how quickly you can sort of move on without it um, in a way that, I'm not I'm not as bothered as I thought. Like I thought at first, oh man, as soon as, you know, Bundesliga or something plays, I'm locked in. And the answer is I'm not. I mean, I you know, like I'm my my I know my son who's a big soccer fan, you know, he's pretty excited cuz the English Premier League's coming back on the 17th, I think, and he's planning to watch some of those games and stuff, but I'm like you. I mean, if you, you know, I, I, I've kind of, I've, I've noticed I'm more present. I'm, I'm more uh, present in conversations with people. I've, I've gotten interested in other things, and because our house has had sort of a rule because of the coronavirus stuff, uh, just with the way people have been affected by it, we don't turn the news on. Nothing. I'll read. Yeah. I'll read about it later, but that was traumatizing in our house when especially early when it was, Hey, you know, kids aren't going to go back to school in the fall and all that stuff. And it was, Hey, we're just not gonna do this anymore. We're going to lock it down. When I say that, like we just, we don't, there's no CNN, there's no Fox news. There's no MSNBC. There's no ABC, CBS. We just don't watch it. I mean, I've kept, I can tell you all about Bobby Flay's weaknesses in the, in the kitchen, but that's about it. And so it, it's made me do other things. I'm with you. As soon as it comes back, I know I'm in, but, uh, it's been it's been an interesting few months without sports, which has always been such a big part of my life, and I'm sure yours too. With just like you said, your everyday stuff, and and it has changed. I and I don't know, I don't know that when it comes back that I'm going to be as locked into it as maybe I've been in the past. I don't know. We'll see. It, I'll tell you this uh, as we just jump around. I'm, I'm, I catch myself far more excited about the NBA coming back than my feelings with Major League Baseball where I'm, I'm disgusted at, at the owners right now at, at, at what they're doing using, using this as a, as, as a tool to, to, to hammer the players. It, it tells me that, there, that there's going to be great acrimony between the two sides going into 2021 and when that labor agreement expires at the end of next season, assuming there is one, that there's going to be it's going to be bloody and and yeah that sport I don't think that sport can afford to disappear from the public consciousness very long and expect to come back and and still have the stature that it, that it had 
you know, as before the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, so my family history is I was the first person born on either side of my family who wasn't born in either the Bronx or Europe. Um, I grew up in a household that the only thing that was almost as important as the family was the New York Yankees. I watched probably 120 Yankee games a summer as a kid. Like, it was the most important thing in the world. I, I have vivid memories of watching those late 90s and early aughts World Series games, and it was such the most important thing. I'm looking down at my TV set now, and I have a fake World Series trophy, a fake World Series ring, and five Yankees bobbleheads. I mean, it is a part of my life that I will not be able to separate from. But if you told me that there isn't another Yankees game until 2021, I'll shrug it off. <laughs> I mean, I want there to be baseball. It's my favorite sport. Yesterday, I was texting a friend of mine, just asking him if he knew the name of the first and only person to ever pull off an unassisted triple play in a World Series game. I, I think about baseball so often that I want people to know trivia about a guy who I think his name was Bill Wamsgans in 1918 or something like that. <laughs> if you say so. So, so yeah, I, I miss it. But, um, yeah, it, the the fact that we haven't had baseball this spring hasn't ruined my life the way I thought it would. Yeah. Nick, I've kept you long enough. I really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Uh, if you ever need a contestant on your game show, holler. That's, that's, uh, that's, <laughs> Will do. That's right up my alley. And uh, I hope to, hope to see you soon. Yeah, I hope so, Neil. All right. See you, Nick. Again, our thanks to Nick for his time today on the Oxford Exxon podcast. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Throughout the week, we've got a I've got two interviews lined up tomorrow. Don't know which days those will run. Ryan Brown's going to join me tomorrow from WJOX in Birmingham. Also, uh, NASCAR driver Tommy Joe Martins is going to join me tomorrow afternoon. That might be getting to you either late tomorrow or Wednesday. I'm not sure which. Uh, we'll have uh, we'll have a full slate of shows to you over the course of uh, this week. The Major League Baseball Amateur Draft is on Wednesday, so I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, before and after, how that impacts Ole Miss, if at all. It's going to be just a short draft, five rounds, as Major League Baseball can't figure out how to get out of its own way. But that's another subject for another day, so we'll uh, we'll talk about it on another day. Thanks again to Nick Suss. Thanks to all of you for listening. Hope you're having a great Monday. We'll be back with you again soon with another edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Until then, take care.